Our passage of scripture is Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll read verses 10 through 13. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. The title of the message tonight is Know Your Enemy, and Machiavelli, in his book, The Prince, wrote, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. And I'd say this is not necessarily good advice about Satan. We don't want him close to us. And yet, if we are going to be successful in battling him in spiritual warfare, we need to understand a little bit, something about him, and we need to know his wiles, his uh, methodias in the Greek, methods. And so first we need to know about the devil, Satan, who brings the wiles. Notice I said we need to know about him. We don't need to know him. We don't need any kind of relationship with him. We just need to know some things about him. And one thing we should know is that he's compared in Scripture to a roaring lion. And it's interesting, a, a roaring lion. Uh, it says, 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is a roaring lion. Hungry, fierce, strong, and cruel, the fierce and greedy pursuers, uh, uh, pursuer of souls, Matthew Henry said. Roaring is not just something he does, but uh, it's part of his strategy. Uh, when lions are after their prey, uh, it's the male lion that has the big roar. And yet it's the female lion's who usually catch the prey. And the way they do this is the male lion will shout out his big roar and the prey will start running to right where the female lions are waiting for it. And so he gets them running. It's an actual trick, you could say, uh, to trap uh, the prey. And so it's not just the roar that itself, and sometimes the male lion will catch prey, uh, but he uses that roar as a strategy to help the other lions to catch uh, the prey. He's called a serpent. Uh, and later he's called a great dragon. A serpent, and as a serpent, he was small and subtle and crafty, but dangerous. It says in Genesis 3, 1 and 2, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now as a serpent, uh, Satan's great weapon was his lies, 
his falsehood. You could say his forked tongue. Maybe the serpent has a forked tongue now because Satan used him. Uh, his mouth was full of deadly poison and lies, you could say. Deceptions are poison when they trap us and, and kill us. The dragon in scripture, the dragon in Revelation is a metaphorical picture of Satan as having dragonish abilities to hunt. And yet he not only hunts, he also rules. He's in control of an ungodly world system, influencing governments, laws, societies. In this sense, the devil, Satan, is a dragon. Uh, Revelation 12, 9 mentions both names. It says, so that great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Notice he's the dragon who was the serpent of old. In the garden, before Adam and Eve had sinned, the serpent was small. The serpent can only tempt them. That's the only power he had. But now he's a dragon. He's in control of governments. He's in control of uh, great crowds of people. Uh, he's able to rule in a sense. And when you read about the dragon in Revelation, you know, he has the seven heads and the ten horns and, and all of those. And there's crowns on his head. And it all represents the fact that he has power. And we're dealing with a powerful enemy when we deal with Satan as a dragon. He is the head of a spiritual army. It says in Ephesians 6, 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Meaning it's a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. We pray uh, against Satan. It's interesting in Daniel 10.10 10, it says, But the prince of the king of, of, of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, that person who's talking in Daniel 10.10 10 is an angel talking to Daniel. Daniel had been praying, and this angel was coming to Daniel, but he was slowed down by, it says, the princes of Persia, which were actually not Persian human beings that were princes. He's talking about spiritual uh, authorities, de demonic beings that were fighting with him. And Michael, the archangel, had to help him in order for him to get to Daniel. And it's an interesting picture because you could think of that. If you can picture it in your mind, if you're praying for a certain thing, Maybe God has sent an angel to answer that prayer and there's demons slowing that angel down and you need to pray all the more for, uh, for, for the answer to your prayer. There's a spiritual battle that goes on. He has some power over animals and weather. We see in Luke, uh, Jesus was casting demons out of uh, a man who had many demons in there. And it says, now there was a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them, meaning Jesus will let these demons enter the swine, the pigs. Then the demons went out of the man, entered into the swine. 
and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. A bunch of pigs killed themselves because they were demonically possessed. They ran down into the water. And so we see that there's that kind of power. In Job, Job 1.16, it says, While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Well, if you read that whole chapter, you remember that Job had asked for permission to do this. And it seems that, jo I mean, Satan had asked them for permission to bring this, these calamities upon Job, and, and God let Satan do that. Then we see also in the next, in the verses uh, 18 and 19, it talks about, and suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I am alone to escape, to escape to you. Those were Job's children that were killed in that house when this wind, maybe like a hurricane or a tornado, had the house collapse on them. But again, if you read the chapter, it's saying that Satan did this. God allowed it and permitted it, but Satan did it. Again, he has the power within minds of men. It says... While he was speaking, another also came, verse 17, still Job, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. There it's telling us that Satan was able to get into the minds of those Chaldeans and made them attack Job. And when you think of it, think of Jesus, what happened. Right before Jesus died, where does Satan go? He goes into Judas, and Judas goes and betrays Jesus. And so we see he's able to use people in this way. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age, that Satan, has blinded. He's the God of this age. He isn't the God of eternity. Who do not believe lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in him. And so when we look around us and we see people uh, that want nothing to do with Christ, that want nothing to do with church, that are living uh, wicked lives, Satan has blinded them. They're lost. Uh, even if you, pre you preach the gospel to them, they treat you like uh, it's, it's silliness. He has the power, at least, to hurt us physically, Obviously, indirectly, as I already said from Job 117, using human armies, but then sometimes directly. Uh, Job 4 through 7, Satan answers the Lord and says, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. And basically, Job is, is, is uh, persecuted by Satan himself who brings these boils on him. And so, uh, in one sense, he used other... Uh, other uh, armies and wind, but here it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And so he had that power. And then his power is greater than what we can handle. As I already said, uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 uh, is talking about the power of in invisible spiritual armies. And... Thankfully, all this power is limited. 
in verse 2 of chapter, or chapter 6, I mean, verse chapter 2, I mean, verse 6 in Job, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Job wanted to attack, I mean, Satan wanted to attack Job, and he attacks him, and he's able to give him boils, and he's able to make those boils very painful, but he cannot kill Job. God does not allow him to do that. And so there's a limit to what Satan can do. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. And I have a lot of people I've talked to over the years, they will question about that. I've had many, many people. It says, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But somebody will say to me, Pastor, nobody ever had a, a pain like mine. <laughs> Nobody's ever endured this. And I'll say something to them like, well, maybe I haven't, but I'm sure there's somebody in the world that's gone through what you've gone through. And some of them I think I'd like to introduce to some of you because maybe you've gone through what they've gone through. And you could say, hey, I've gone through this and God got me through it. But they sometimes think I'm the only one who ever has gone through this particular thing. But God tells us in his word that's not true. Whatever temptation we've gone through, it's common to man. Other people have had cancer. Other people have lost loved ones. Other people have had all sorts of different problems in this world. Uh, and there's not a temptation or, or trial but somebody else hasn't had it. And so it says, who has not allowed you to be tempted beyond that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, the word temptation in scripture is the exact same word as trial. So sometimes we think of temptation as, yeah, um, somebody's putting a, a big apple pie in front of you when you really don't need to. That's a temptation for me. <laughs> uh, but a trial could also be uh, that you are sick from that apple pie and you're throwing up. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's either way, and both of them are the, are the same uh, as far as the word is concerned. One, one may be painful, one is tempting, but the devil brings both of them. Secondly, and this leads to the second point, this is all about what the devil is and who, he, who and what he can do. But the second point is we need to know about the wiles that the devil brings. You know, the old cartoon uh, that I, I remember with Bugs Bunny time was uh, the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. <laughs> and Wiley Coyote had all these wiles, these different tricks or traps he was going to bring against the road runner and the devil has real traps that he brings against people some of his wiles are designed to blind as i read before second corinthians 4 4 whose mind the god of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is in the image of god should shine on them uh, satan blinds people to the gospel. When we preach the gospel, sometimes we might preach it to people 
who are so stubborn, who are so set against it that you could call them blind, they can't see it. And, and we need to pray that God would open their eyes. They are set against it. There is an ignorant, immoral blindness of the unconverted. Ephesians 4, 17-19 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Uh, this is the blindness that he's talking about that happens to people who are extreme in their sins. Uh, they go overboard in order to be immoral. That's where their joy in their life is. And he's saying they are blind in doing this. Uh, why are they blind? Because they're not seeing any consequence of their sin. They're not realizing the things that they love to do are going to end them in hell. Uh, they're going to be punished. They're blind to God's judgment, which is the next point B. There is a blind, blindness that is the judgment of God. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. John twelve forty. I just told you right before, before I started preaching and before we started singing, that I'd rather have cancer than dementia. And I'd actually rather have dementia than to have spiritual or moral dementia to where you're immoral and you cannot help it because your heart is hardened. And not only is your heart hardened because you're sinning, but your heart heart is hardened because God has decided that he's going to judge you by hardening your heart even more. And there are people that have a kind of spiritual, moral, you could call it dementia, because they have no mind to think about anything good. They just go from worse to worse. And sometimes you see people like this. I've seen them. When you see a murderer on, on TV who's been captured or something, and they show him laughing or something about what he's doing. There's no, you know, sometimes even a murderer can have remorse. They can feel horrible about what they did. But these people are so blinded and so hardened that they run into their sin and they love it. They don't realize how bad it is. And part of that, at least sometimes, is God's judgment. God has made them even worse than they were, not by making them worse intentionally, but by just letting them go without his grace to stop them. He's taken the conscience away from them. A uh, long time ago, I think I talked about Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is what some people call leprosy nowadays. And a, a child with this disease can put his hand on a burning stove and not even realize it's doing that. He can burn his hand right off uh, and not even feel it. These people, spiritually and morally, 
can run into sin without any conscience. And it's like they lose all sense of pain. There's also a self-righteous hypocritical blindness. This is what Jesus says about the Pharisees. He says, woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gold of the temple that sanctifies the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Now what Jesus is speaking about there is these blind guides, these Pharisees, uh, they were all about the law and rules, and they made up loopholes. Uh, as kids, we had these kind of loopholes. At least I did. Maybe have you had these loopholes where you make a promise to somebody, and while you're promising, you have your fingers crossed behind your back? Do you ever, you ever did that? What does it mean when I, if I promise Myrna that I'm going to come by tomorrow and do something for her, but I have my fingers crossed behind my back, what does that mean? That means I'm not going to do it. I, I, I'm crossing my fingers, and it means I don't have to do it. It's like a loophole. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. Uh, you can make a promise, but if you swear by the gold of the temple instead of the temple, they were saying you don't have to keep that promise. They were crooked, nasty people when you think of this. But they were pretending that they were good by well, doing this. So they made up all these laws that other people would have no clue to follow and know, and they could swear and make a promise and not keep it. And Jesus is saying, that's just plain wrong. And the, in this sense, they were blind because they thought they were getting away with something, but God could see that. God knew what they were doing. Wiles are designed, some of them. Number two, to stir up hatred against God. We have this already in us. There's a natural hatred to God in the flesh. It says in Romans 8, 7 and 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's part of us, each one of us, that uh, has this in us. Uh, we get tired. We don't feel like going to church. We don't feel like praying. Uh, this, we have this battle in us uh, that we fight the flesh. And the devil wants to stir this up. He wants to make it worse than it is. We are by our sin nature self-destructive. And Satan would gladly lead and guide us and stir us to our own purposes. Solomon tells us there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death, Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs 16, 25, he repeats the exact same thing. And this is the way that is typical for mankind. Uh, death becomes a cure. We uh, solve this problem by killing our enemy or killing our wife or killing our husband. That's how we're going to solve a problem. And that's never the, the way. But, this, but Satan will make us think that is the way. There are certain fleshly pleasures connected to sin. 
One of the devil's wiles is to make out that God is the bad guy for not allowing us our sinful pleasures. In Hebrews 11.25, it speaks of the passing pleasures of sin. And there are certain pleasures today that uh, a whole group of people, sexual pleasures, that uh, they think are so wonderful and Christians are so horrible to be against them. We are out of our minds because we don't agree with their sexual sins. Third, wiles designed to stir doubt about God and his word. We see this in the very beginning of the Bible uh, in Satan's questions to Eve. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Well, what does he mean, you shall not surely die? Well, the fact is they would surely die because God told them they would surely die. And they did die because they ate of that fruit and they fell and the, and the devil had lied to them, had deceived them. And we see he brought that out by questions. Has God allowed you to eat of every tree of the garden? No. Well, if, he, if he's limiting us to 99 trees and there's one tree that we're not allowed to eat, then he's horrible, isn't he, for, for keeping that tree off limits. And he says this by saying, you know, God just doesn't want you to know good and evil. He just, he's trying to uh, limit you by doing this. But see, here the devil is bringing questions that ultimately destroy Eve. Even the ifs that he presents to Christ the Son of God are, are like this. He says, it says in Matthew 4, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Well, Jesus was the Son of God. He could prove that he was Son of God to the devil uh, during his fast by making the stones bread and eating them. Or he could finish his fast, his 40-day fast, that he believed God had to him to do it. Well, did he have to prove that he was the son of God to Satan? No, he did not do that. So he did not fall for that if. Then later he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Here, here the devil had Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. He says, throw yourself down. The angels are going to catch you. You're the son of God. They're going to catch you. So tempt God by doing that. Jesus did not do that either. And, and you know, sometimes you hear of people doing something like that. Because God's word says to uh, trust him and obey him. Well, that means I can jump off the Empire State Building and God's going to catch me. That's not what that means. God doesn't want us to do foolish, stupid things. And Jesus shows us that. Wiles are designed to stir up pride rather than dependence upon God. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore he who thinks he stands 
take heed lest he fall. You know, I think now that I'm heavier, I've learned a little bit about this kind of thing. I'm very careful about falling because uh, I know if I fall, which I've fallen a few times since I'm heavy, it's hard for me to get up. So I will be extra, extra careful. But if I'm not careful, what can happen? It, you, you're going to fall. If you think, if you get overconfident, not just physically, but spiritually, uh, you can fall to the devil's traps. And he likes to make us think that, oh, I'm going so smoothly. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read my Bible. I, I, I'm walking with God anyway. Uh, that's where we get overconfident. While stir up also the opposite, a spirit of fear. It says in 1 Samuel 15, 24, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I transgressed the commandments, the commandment of the Lord and your, and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. God had commanded him to kill all the Amalekites, but he didn't, and the reason he didn't was he feared the people. He thought the people might think he was cruel to kill all his enemies. Uh, whatever he was thinking, he feared that the people would not see him as, as king or whatever. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, go to a pagan country and you'll find it is a country of fears. The inhabitants are afraid of everything, afraid of the dark, afraid of spirits in the tree, trees, in the woods, in the heavens. Uh, when, the, when the country does not know Christ, they fear all of these things. We fear more and more. I, I believe as a country, we're becoming more and more pagan. Uh, that's why we fear things like global warming. The, the whole earth is going to fall apart. Uh, these are things that are not, you know, we know from scripture can't happen. Wiles that promote false teachings. Number five. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, also, among yourselves, men will rise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Well, we know that happened in the church, and it happens regularly in the church. Ministers get in, or elders get in, or Sunday school teachers get in that teach false things. And it happens regularly. And here Paul is saying you have to guard against that. Number six, wiles that encourage right teaching, even in a distorted or unbalanced way. And here I, I put the whole part of Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, because there it talks about them testing uh, the apostles uh, that were not, and they were liars. And it's interesting, this is the same church mentioned in Acts 20, 29, the Ephesian church. They were to be on guard against false teachers. Well, what happened was they got so much in guard against false teachers that they forgot to love Jesus. <laughs> so that was another, you see, one while... <laughs> They were guarding against one while and they were doing it so diligently that they forgot about another possibility. They lost their first love. And so it's, it's, it, when you think of it, 
you know, Satan can uh, get us one way or the other way, and we have to be strong against it. He says, uh, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, Else, for else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from you, from its place, unless you repent. And so he called them to repent of their lack of love, their, their love that wasn't what it was before. Number seven, wiles that stir up thoughts, even blasphemy. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, these are the fiery darts of the wicked one, referred to in uh, Ephesians uh, 6.15, which Ephesians 6.15 says, and... Uh, no, actually, it's, it's verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith by which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Uh, meaning, evil thoughts. I think I missed some of that quote because that's only scripture there. It's not uh, Lloyd-Jones. But the fiery darts, he's saying, all of a sudden, uh, you're, you're thinking something that you know you didn't want to think. I, re I remember, and I, I'm going to admit to a sin here, but long time ago when I was a young preacher before I was a pastor, when I only would preach at a church, I was working on a sermon about Christ's cross. And I'm thinking of Christ carrying that, the cross uh, before Simon comes and helps him, and he's walking up the hill, and this thought came into mind, the old Pabst Blue Ribbon beer commercial. And I'm picturing Christ singing, I've got Pabst Blue Ribbon on my mind. That's a wicked, wicked thing to start thinking. <laughs> it was a horrible, it was a dart of the devil in the middle of preparing for a sermon. I start thinking of Jesus thing, singing a beer commercial as he's carrying the cross. Well, that was the bottom... Uh, that's the bottom of the barrel. And it's just, you know, I already admitted I was snoring at a <laughs> sermon. This is preparation. And the wicked one can get into there and pull us down. Well, applications. Well, note these are just examples of Satan's many temptations. Um, there's there's un, uh, 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 unlimited amount. And then secondly, realize only Christ has emerged sinless from all the temptations of, sin, of, of, of the devil. So we need to depend on him. We need to, as it, as it said in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that you'd be with us as we go our separate ways. Help us to love you and follow you. Help us to be your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we do have one more song.